0: It's the day after Easter, March the 5th, I'm sorry, April the 5th, 2021. I'm Pastor Tom Baker, and as is our custom on Mondays, we take a look at the readings for the coming Sunday, which is entitled The Second Sunday of Easter. Readings are from Acts 4, 1 John 1, and John chapter 20. John chapter 20 is about Jesus appearing to the disciples the evening of his resurrection, and also all about doubting Thomas. We're going to take a look, though, at First John ch- chapter 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. Now, what they're talking about, of course, is none other than Jesus Christ himself. Why are they talking about that which we have heard? Because they heard a message from Jesus Christ. In fact, that message often came not just from Jesus alone. Remember the angels to the shepherds, uh, the angel of course, to Mary, and other times. And they continue saying, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands. Who knows how many individuals held Jesus in his arms when he was a child. We know Simeon did and in, in the temple when Mary and Joseph took him to the temple. And concerning the word of life, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And when he's talking about life, he's not referring to just being alive. He's talking about the restored life that we lost through the sin of Adam and Eve and our continual sin. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testify to it and to proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you. That's the essence of the mission of the Christian Church namely, what the prophets and the apostles both saw. And heard, they now proclaim to us. I've said this a number of times on my radio program. If I ever say something that you're not sure about, let me know. And if I cannot find a Bible verse to back it up, turn the station, because I am a false teacher. In other words, anything that is said about Jesus Christ must be backed up not with reason. Because reason falls short, but by Holy Scripture, which often is totally unreasonable. In other words, what other religion do you find where the personal God becomes a human being to die for our sins? And that's what John's going to be talking about here. So, what is the purpose? of the apostles telling us what they have seen and heard. The next part of the verse, so that you too may have fellowship with us. Well, what fellowship? Well, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. To have fellowship means that you are part of the family of God. Jesus is your brother, God the Father is your father, and even God the Holy Spirit is your sanctifier, who not only brought you to faith by hearing the word of God, being baptized, but also sustains you in the one true faith with not just good works, but what is referred to as fruit of the Holy Spirit. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. What makes our joy complete? Our joy is made complete by receiving not only the good news of the gospel, but seeing how it works faith in individuals. In fact, yesterday at one of the churches I was at, we had confirmation of two adults. That confirmation had begun back in September, and they finally came to a decision that they desired to be members of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, because it mirrored an accurate summary. Of God's word. And there was great joy in the congregation when these two people came forward to be confirmed, and they brought their two children, very young. They had been baptized earlier in the summer, and the four of them were standing there. The two adults made the vows concerning confirmation. And five minutes later, they received the very body and blood of Jesus Christ. That's what that verse four means. We are writing these things, John says, so that our joy may be complete. And our joy is complete as human beings become true believers. Now, These individuals were already Christians of another denomination. I had no doubt of their Christianity. But by becoming a member of the Lutheran church, they were acknowledging that the aspects of Lutheranism most closely are in agreement with Holy Scripture. So, verse 5, and we're looking at 1 John chapter 1. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Now, here's where you need a pastor who has a knowledge of scripture and has been trained at the seminary because the concept of darkness often means evil, judgment, judgment. For example, we just realized that this past Good Friday when darkness covered the land when Jesus had been crucified. Why was it dark? Because as Jesus said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The Father had turned his back on the Son because the Son carried the sins of the whole world on his shoulders. Now, at the end of the crucifixion, Jesus said to the Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. God is light. And that's kind of obvious when you look at the first verses of the Bible. In Genesis, you have God the Father in verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. You then have the Holy Spirit who was over the waters. And then it said, And God said, Let there be light. Now, if you go to John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. Nothing was made that was not made by the Word. And in verse 14, we find out that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The Word of God is often referring to not words of the Bible, but Jesus the Word. His first action of creation that is mentioned is the creation of light. And this is before the sun was created. But even there, there was morning and evening. And then the sun took over that jurisdiction when it was created. But that God is light means that those who trust in Jesus are no longer walking in darkness. We know the will of God. Uh, We know his word of judgment, but we also know the gospel. This is why this program is called Law and Gospel, because the law has the purpose of mirroring our sins to show that we fall short of the glory of God, and we deserve nothing but temporal and eternal punishment. Heaven ought not be our home, but because of Jesus the Christ, who came into the world, became a human being, and suffered for us, we now have fellowship with the Father and the Holy Spirit. Therefore, verse 6, If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. There are a lot of individuals in the world who say they have fellowship with the true God, but they do not. They sometimes rename the God like Allah, or even if they say they're Christians, they do not have the true God. Just simply read the teachings of the Jehovah Witness or the Mormon Church to see how far short they are from a true understanding of the true God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So they may say, "Oh, we have fellowship with God, but because they walk in darkness, which simply means they do not believe that Jesus is the only way of salvation, and that he is the one who became incarnate, that is, took upon human flesh, to die for us. Such people are lying and do not practice the truth. But, and here's the opposite, for those of you in faith, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. What blood? the blood of the crucifixion. You see, it's one thing to know the details of the history of the life of Jesus, that he was born, that he suffered under Pontius Pilate, that he was crucified, that he was buried, that he rose. Those are historical facts, ready, that save nobody because even the devils know that. And even human beings, such as the Pharisees, they realized that also. They knew he died. They knew he rose from the dead. They paid the soldiers to lie about it because they believed he raised Lazarus from the dead. They said it was a trick of Beelzebub the devil. And so, was a very interesting note that we find at the crucifixion where they say to Jesus hanging on the cross, you come down from the cross and we will believe in you. This concept is at the base of all false belief. That first, we have to see And have evidence that you are the Christ, then we will believe. No, the Bible indicates that first you believe, and then the evidence is clear. We're talking more about that in other broadcasts about this important distinction between Christianity and everything else. So, what does it mean to walk in the light? Well, one would expect, if you are of another religion, that to walk in the light means you no longer sin. There is no doubt that that is a goal of the Scripture, to help you to stop sinning. But, as verse says, verse 8, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Well then, how does sin, which should mean we don't go to heaven, how is it taken care of so that heaven is still our home? Verse 9, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You don't find that concept in any other religion in the world. Simply by confessing sins. What is that? That is really the ministry of John the Baptizer, to move people to repentance in preparation for the coming of Jesus Christ. Because what is Jesus Christ going to be preaching about? He's going to be preaching about the forgiveness of sin. And if a person denies that he is a sinner, not only is he a liar, but he is not able to confess his sins. And to confess sins just doesn't mean well, I did this wrong and I did that wrong and I had a wrong thought, I said a wrong word. No, confession means that you take full responsibility for your sin. Unlike Adam, who attempted to blame Eve, the woman you gave to me, which shows that he's actually attempting to blame God for his sin that's not proper confession proper confession is taking the responsibility that i have sinned and therefore when we don't confess thinking we have no sin the pharisees were like that they were thankful they were not like tax collectors who were jews working for the romans and they said no We're not sinners like that. In fact, we do the ceremonial laws. They didn't even talk about the moral laws. And that's why they were shocked when Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount pointed out that a sin that deserves eternal hell is not only the act of murder, but also the thought of murder or the word of murder. So, how are we saved? If we confess our sins, he is faithful. Now, what does faithful mean? That means God keeps his promises. And one of the promises from the cross that Jesus requested, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they are doing. And he's not talking about believers. He's talking about the unbelievers, who nailed him to the tree, who spit at him, who derided him. They are the ones whose sins Jesus asked to be forgiven and to cleanse them from all unrighteousness. Therefore, if we say, and this is verse 10, if we have not sinned, we may come a liar, and his word is not in us. Now, do you understand this concept of Christianity? To walk in the light doesn't mean that you stop sinning. It's impossible for a person to stop sinning. But it does mean that you begin to be repentant of those sins and turn to Jesus Christ. So chapter 2 begins, My little children... I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. See, that's the goal of the teaching of the prophets and the apostles. They do not want us to sin, so they first show what sin is and helps us to be aware of the temptations of Satan to fight against him. But we just showed that We do sin. So how do you reconcile that the purpose of the apostle and prophet's writings is so we do not sin, but we do sin? The answer is found in verse 1 of chapter 2 of 1 John 1. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father Jesus Christ, the righteous. Now, what's an advocate? One can use the term defense attorney. Well, why do we need a defense attorney? Because we have a prosecutor who is always telling God what sinners we are. That's the devil himself. And he even tells us, oh, look at all the sins you have done. How can you think that you are worthy enough to enter into heaven? And see, that's the goal of the pastoral ministry, to give comfort to those who are near death and are worried about their salvation. They're worried about it because they're looking at their eyes, with their eyes, at their sin and thinking they fall short of the glory of God, which is true. But that doesn't mean that God will not forgive them because we have an advocate, we have a defense attorney with the Father and it is Jesus Christ, the righteous. What does verse two say? The ESV translation, he is the propitiation for our sins. Now, what does the word propitiation mean? It's not a word that you and I often use in daily conversation. Propitiation is actually the act of someone taking upon himself the guilt of our sins and being punished for it. There's another term, expiation, and that term has to do with removing something or taking something away. Biblically, it has to do with taking away our guilt through the payment of the penalty that we owe. That's referred to as the offering of an atonement. And what's atonement? Divide the word at one minute. It makes us one with God the Father. It is very important, therefore, that propitiation had to occur. Jesus took upon himself the guilt of our sins. He did that willingly. He went to the cross, and on the cross, that which he really feared in the Garden of Gethsemane took place. Namely, the God, the Father, forsook him. And he knew that was going to happen because that was part of the propitiation, the pain for our sins. Those who believe in Jesus, therefore, have received that gift of propitiation. In fact, listen to the ending of verse 2. After He is a propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. That phrase is extremely important. I can't tell you how many times I've heard someone say in maybe other sermons, how do you get saved? Well, you invite Christ into your heart or you say that you are repentant and therefore because of that your sins are forgiven no your sins have been forgiven they have been forgiven at the cross so when i'm driving for uber and we get into a theological conversation with the passenger and we get talking about how is one saved how is one forgiven? I tell them, well, because of the cross, your sins have been forgiven already. Jesus paid the price. His propitiation was sufficient. And therefore, you have to do nothing but trust in that promise. Those who are not saved simply do not believe that God had propitiation for the sins of the entire world. I'm Tom Baker. We'll be looking more at Easter elements as we continue in the following weeks. tomorrow on Law and Gospel with Pastor Mark Smith. We'll take a look at the hymn, O Sons and Daughters of the King. Until then, God bless you.